The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show, everyone. Hope you're having a great day. We are so excited about our show today because we have a rock star here. We have an actor, comedian, motivational speaker, author, and national leader for youth with disabilities on our show today. And you all know that superstar chief operating officer, Mary Brocker. Um, And guess what? That's how I found out about Mike Pritchard. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joyce, very, very much. It's my honor to be on with you, and I'm really happy to uh, have this opportunity. Well, we're happy to have you. So, you know, I looked at your uh, background here and uh, your website, and I saw, wow, all this impressive uh, stuff you did even beginning in your career, you know, from being on the Today Show to all these other things with a lot of comedy. So what made you do that? Why did you first become involved in that? You know, that's a great question. Uh, Joyce, that was a medic in service taking care of wounded, and I learned early that uh, pain shared is pain divided, and joy shared is joy multiplied. And one of the things that uh, you help people with is when they're rehabbing or when they're wounded or hurt, the most important thing you can do is uh, help their spirit and lift them up. And I work with a lot of patients who are severely wounded. And uh, having a good attitude and making them laugh was a way that I used to help heal their spirit, which really helps wound, wounded people recover in their body. And uh, I started to do stand-up comedy in 1980. And uh, I got on stage in those days, is way back early in the 70s, too, but by 1980, I had become a professional comedian, and, and that was the year I won the San Francisco Comedy Competition, and that was the same year I was the California Probation Officer of the Year. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what a combo that is. Well, you know, I went on the Johnny Carson show, and uh, I was the big hit there. Went on uh, all the shows in those days and did shows like Merv Griffin and Mike Douglas and those shows. And then I was on an Emmy Award-winning episode of Taxi, and it won eight Emmys. The first time I was ever on television. I've been a, a lucky Irishman all my life. And uh, then uh, I signed a contract with NBC for a hundred thousand uh, dollars back in the day. That was in 1980, and uh, started to do show business stuff, but wasn't enamored with it as much as I was with working with children. So I went back to my one true love, and that was to just be working with kids. And I had incredible success in uh, show business, but it wasn't where my heart lay. Mm. Yeah, well, you've got to do what you've got to do, that's for sure. Um, But I wondered, could you share a little bit, 
since I have people that listen that love TV. Could you tell us a little bit about, in more detail, about some of those appearances? For example, how did you like being on the Johnny Carson show? Oh, I had a great time, Joyce, with Johnny Carson. He was a wonderful man, a Nebraska guy. I originally grew up, I was born in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My family was all from there, but we moved to St. Louis, Missouri. So I was a Midwesterner and uh, grew up in the Midwest. And I had so much in, in common with Carson. And I had a great time on his show and did phenomenally well. Loved Johnny. He was a very nice man, very pleasant, kind man. And uh, we talked about raising kids and boys and and how you, you know, I've, I've been raising, at that point, I've been raising kids, uh, not even having been married, but because I was a probation officer, I'd helped so many young men uh, find their way through the, the things. Then I was on Merv Griffin and Mike Douglas. I opened up for some of the biggest names in show business. I was on the road with Chicago, um, Boss Gags. I opened extensively with uh, Diana Ross. Oh, and, uh, oh <laughs> now you hit my hot button. My, my little name here could be Motown. That yeah. is it right there. I love Motown. And when I yeah. think of Diana Ross, of course, I think of the Supremes. Now, what did you do with them? Well, I was at uh, Caesars Tahoe and Caesars Vegas bo- uh, both times opening for Diana Ross. And uh, it was a phenomenal show. I had a great time. And then I would go- actually go out on the road and I'd do a 20-minute set uh, in front of them. And... Uh, it was phenomenal because I could take my wife and the kid, and uh, at the time we had just one kid, but then I went all over just uh, to these casinos and these big showrooms doing shows and having a lot of fun, learning about show business and learning about, you know, the stuff in the music industry. But uh, I loved being uh, a comedian who could go out in front of people for 20 minutes and just make them roar laughing. And then you begin the show. George Benson. I opened for George Benson. Oh, another um, person I love. The B fifty twos, Chaka Khan. Um, oh boy, you were time in my life. Yeah. Unbelievable. Now, that's amazing that you didn't want to continue doing that because, as you well know, people get you know hooked on this whole right. being a superstar, being in the entertainment right. world. Apparently, that didn't happen with you. No. Well, there was a line, Joyce, I I thought was really powerful. It said, show business is a place sometimes where people spend all their time searching for each other's weaknesses. Mm. Very profound. And it's true. The whole tabloid industry is built on that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a person who builds children's self-esteem, when you're seeing an an entire industry that's built on tearing self-esteem down and, uh, and, and, and enhancing competition to the point of uh, of sadness, you know, and, and it wasn't all show business because I had really wonderful friends and still do. Great directors and, and writers in show business are still close, very close friends, and I've helped them all with their families. But it was not for me, not to be. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd learned that, you know, there's a sadness to much of it. And mm-hmm. uh, I loved my happiness more than I wanted that fame and fortune. Yeah. Well, I'd have to agree with you, you know, when it comes to that. Because as I tell young people, hey, you yourself are a star. You don't need someone else, you know, to make that happen. But I do have a question for you here from Delaware, and that is, uh, Mr. Pritchard, could you please tell me how did you get over the fear 
of standing in front of people? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I always tell everybody, Joyce, fear is the little dark room where negatives are developed. Mm. And one has to feel a great sense of authenticity about self and have something to love that, that's inside you to share with others. Whether you're an artist or a singer or a dancer or a performer or a comedian or an actor, you have to love yourself so much and be confident in a real way, not in a disingenuous way. You have to be true to self because uh, it's a harsh industry. And what I tell people is, you know, you have to be confident in you so that you can say this, this line and mean it. What people think of me is none of my business. Who cares? They don't know my heart, and they don't know my journey. So wow. when you yeah, say that... Yeah, I know. If you could just get to that, huh? If people right. could just get there. I always tell high school students with disabilities, I would be a trillionaire if I had a little magic bottle that would show you when you're in high school how when you get out and you're an adult, you'll look back on this and say, you've you got to be kidding, I worried about that. Right. But when you're in the middle of it, you know, what are you going to do? You're worried about it. That's, but, you know, that's what I hope that we can change. I, I really do. That's what I hope that we can change. Well, well uh, you know, me... that's the thing. You know, I tell everybody optimism is a force multiplier. You've got some and great And to things. be positive and believe in yourself and love yourself and respect yourself is the most important gift we give to ourselves. No matter what challenges we have in our life, whether we're disabled or able, and uh, normal's just a setting on a dryer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Michael, look how successful you've been and all these great things you've done, although to me the greatest thing you're doing is right now with what you're doing with young people. But right. nonetheless, you know, you certainly have done things most people have not. So I have to ask you, you had to have a role model. Someone had to influence you, uh, number one, to not be afraid, you know, of what you can do, not to limit yourself. But then number two, to go in the direction of your heart. So who was that person? Well, you know, I, I'm a very, you know, spiritual person. And uh, I believe in the spirituality and the confidence that I have comes from a, a very strong spiritual faith. I'm Irish Catholic. I was raised by two wonderful Irish Catholics. And my role model were my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. My mom was a school teacher. My dad was an army officer in the military in World War II. They imbued in me a sense of confidence and self-respect and self-esteem to not doubt myself and, and to know that worry is a form of atheism. Wow, so that's that it, interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's true. You, you feel that confidence that comes from a spiritual place. It's been a core in me from the time I was a little boy. Um, I have a strong prayer life even to this day. I started early and... And I believe so strongly in the, in the destiny of what it is that we can do artistically to help people to uplift their spirits and encourage their life and help them feel better and stronger about themselves that you have to become that role model for yourself as well in life mm-hmm. that you would love and, and see in others. Mm-hmm. My mom and dad were wonderful people. I used to t- tell the story about 
My father would whistle off the front porch when I was a boy. And we'd all come home, and there was a kid on our front porch, Joyce. And uh, my father taught me, you know, sharing this way. Because he said, why is that kid on my front porch every night at the dinner hours? Does that kid not have a dinner hour? And I went out, and I said, why are you out here, Jimmy? And he goes, I don't have anybody to whistle me home. There's nobody there. Come on. And so I went back in and told that to my dad. It was from a family of nine and mom from a family of ten. And I watched my dad get emotional. He goes, well, tell him to come inside and eat dinner with the rest of you. Well, a week later, we had his two brothers. (laughs) No kidding. And you know what I said was that taught me more about my life is sharing what we have and being that person that cared about others and that compassion that comes from growing up in a big family. Yeah. Yeah, that is awesome. I, too, am spiritual, and I, I too, believe in, you know, what you're saying, because I know how that has made such a difference in my life, Um, and, and I believe in that. But anyway, Michael, you've done something that, to me, is phenomenal, and that is you've worked with wounded warriors. I have to tell you that I met a young man with a disability that had done two uh, tours in Iraq and 3.8 grade point average that could not find employment. And I say when that happens, shameful, shameful, because you know very well from what you do, you're seeing it. You're seeing what it's like. Uh, But how about if you share a little bit of those experiences with our listeners? Yeah, we've been filming an HBO special, uh, you know, uh, up at uh, Pathways Home in Yountville, California, with young men that have multiple tours in post-traumatic stress disorder and also working with wounded warriors. And, you know, I tell everybody, look, it's one thing to blame. If you can point a finger to blame, can you lend a hand to help? Uh, people need to get past the politics and, and uh, the judgments. There's a great line I love. My mother, Teresa, said, if you judge people, you'll never have ter- time to learn to love them. Mm-hmm. And so when you're with these young men, you listen to their stories. They're incredible young spirits. They're brilliant. And they've done, this military has done more for our nation than any other military. We owe them a debt we cannot repay. Our nation's incapable of repaying what we owe them for what they've, these men and women have done the past 10 years. But I, I remember there was this one combat vet who stood up at the graduation from our program. And what they're looking for and need is our love, our support our encouragement, and our recognition, not just about what they did over there, but helping them come home. Robert Frost, the poet, said, home is that place you go where they have to let you in. And for me, I'm thinking about this young combat vet who's a highly decorated ranger. And he said, you know, combat veterans are a lot like feral cats after a thunderstorm. They'll hide in pipes, and they'll hide in the woods and under overpasses, and they'll hide out because they're just wounded. But if you put a saucer of milk on the porch, they will come home. Mm. And that's what our nation needs to do for these young men. We need Mm -hmm. to put out that love. We need to welcome them home. And the way I welcome them home is I'm on the board of directors of the San Francisco Giants Community Fund, so I get them all into coaching Little League. And if you want pure joy... 
coach Little League. It's the best. And you're coaching kids, and they get to come home and watch the kids. And you don't have to be physically perfect to do that. You could have a disability. What the children need, what kids need in baseball, and it teaches such reliance on believing and enduring and not quitting before the miracle happens, and teamwork, which I tell kids that team is together, everyone, anyone matters. And I, when you see these guys coach like this, and I, I saw this guy who's lost his legs coaching these kids, and they love him, and he loves them. And he's getting more out of it than they are. They have a hero, and he has a team. Well, what did that do to you when you first met Oh, I'm always emotional. I'm always emotional when I see them. uh, I'm lifted up in spirit to see that renewal and that healing that takes place by connecting them. Whenever I take young vets to go speak to the kids, even if they're in wheelchairs or if they don't realize the impact they can have with just their words, and uh, they're, you know, you're teaching them. I, I tell them, I need you. America needs you. We need you to come home and help these kids learn uh, past the entitlement they feel, past the indifference, past the apathy. And the more these young disciplined uh, women and men come home and join us in our system, it's the same thing that my father taught me. When all my uncles and he came back in Pittsburgh, including uh, Mary's grandfather, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it was uh, lost in action. That, that spirit of connection to community and compassion is something I teach daily, and it lifts me up. Well, I know that when I meet these young men and women, whether they're amputees or post-traumatic stress disorder, traumatic brain injury, uh, no matter what it is, I am mortified when they can't find employment. I just can't understand that. That is so hard for me to understand, as I said before, that someone would go to Iraq or Afghanistan, put on their, their life on the line for you, not even know you, and then come back and not be able to find employment. I mean, that is very sad. That's, that's terrible. I, I am so with you. And it, and it takes us to awaken the folks on the tippy top of the pyramid to understand that, you know, this is what I tell them all the time. On 9-11-2001, there was millionaires and billionaires at the top of the World Trade Center waiting to be rescued by working-class heroes, cops, mm-hmm. paramedics, and firefighters, and people who understood the line from Churchill, you make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give to others. Mm-hmm. And so it's important for them to awaken to the fact there's an accountability there. There's a responsibility to operate off the platform of freedom and sacrifice. You should show respect for the men and women that endure much to provide you those. And if we become apathetic or indifferent to that, it's beyond shame. Then it's not just about shame. It's about sickness. Mm-hmm. And we've become so narcissistically sociopathic that we're indifferent. Mm-hmm. to the people that we ask to provide us with that torch of freedom. Mm-hmm. And they don't get that you can make a lot of money. And uh, at the end of the chess game, the pawn and the king go back in the same box. 
Yeah. And if they become so greedy and indifferent to that suffering of the uh, folks who have sacrificed for them, then they will they will catch it in in, in their own karmic way how indifferent their uh, apathy will take our country to a place that it can't afford to be. Mm-hmm. Right. I agree with you. Um, here's Sandy from Youngstown, Ohio, saying, uh, Mike, I know you have worked with wounded warriors. Do you do that frequently across the country? And if so, how would we find out? Yeah, I, I speak to groups all over America, and I, and I uh, spend time with those guys when I'm out doing my regular stuff. And I work uh, just taking time. And, you know, I have a website, www.michaelpritchard.com. And uh, what our troops need is inspiration uh, when they're home and, and retired from military life. Inspire comes from the Greek term to breathe in the spirit. And getting them to breathe in the spirit of connection to a community. What I often tell them as I cross country, uh, Joyce, is that uh, we wake up to the fact that we owe the people that have sacrificed this uh, for us. And, and it's all of us together as a community bringing them home. And that's what needs to happen. And we need to awaken all the politicians, all of the corporate business folks, all of the people in the faith-based community, all the people that work in veterans' affairs and the sporting uh, places all over the country, it can't just be lip service. It can't be thank you for your service. Slogans aren't going to work. What works is active participation in their wellness and employment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I tell them, I is illness, we is wellness. Well... Michael, I have to ask you then, do you think the reason it is so hard for veterans with disabilities to gain employment when they come back, do you think that is because uh, people just don't care? Uh, What do you think it is? I think that we've grown so self-absorbed. I see a lot of self-absorption out there. Uh, I had a line about kids. I said, this little girl was so self-absorbed. It was amazing. She hadn't drowned. (laughs) You know, and and we teach that disconnection. There's a social uh, apathy and an emotional disconnect. And what people that, that don't get sacrifice, you know, and, and service don't understand is, uh, I guess what I, I told my son this, Joyce, when he went off to a really good Jesuit school, I said, son, there's going to be men that look down their nose at men like myself and all the firemen and cops and soldiers and sailors and Marines that you were raised around. And if his Porsche target catches on fire, he won't have to crick his neck to know that we are on our way to risk our life and maybe give our life to save his. And in the old days, those men would at least teach their children to respect how we chose to live our lives. And that's not happening lately. And that's the problem in America. It's one half of 1% doing all the serving overseas. And so they can act indifferent just by looking the other way, but at their peril. Because the line I use all the time is, if you do not know, it is bad, but if you do not want to know, it is worse. Yeah. We owe. Yeah. We owe. 
the yeah. Bell of Freedom only rings because of the sacrifice of these men at Normandy, at Bastogne, at Iwo Jima, at, uh, during Korea, during Hamburger Hill in Vietnam, and now in, uh, in the middle of Fallujah, in the middle of Iraq or Afghanistan, mm-hmm. we owe. And one of the kids said it best. He said, I lost, uh, I lost my spleen to America, and I never even got a receipt. Oh, isn't that terrible? Yeah, that says it all. And we need it? to wake up as a nation, you know, and especially the corporate world and especially the faith-based community folks need to get these guys and women home to their families in a healthy fashion. Mm-hmm. Right. That takes, the line I use all the time is, tell me I'll forget, show me I'll remember, but involve me and I will understand. Yes. You get people to understand. There's too many people in this nation that overstand, not understand. Mm-hmm. And that's sad, isn't it? It that is. That is so pathetic. sad. Yeah. Well, lacking in any. That's why I, Joyce, what I teach is social emotional learning. That's what I've spent my uh, last ten years doing, tied in with Rutgers University and uh, their social emotional learning department, teaching how we have to stay connected emotionally while this high technology comes in. Toffler said, if we have high tech, we must have high touch. It's important. Right. Well, I couldn't agree with you more because it is a passion of mine. Of course, the employment of all people with disabilities is a passion of mine. But it's just amazing to me and terrible that this could be happening. But as you said, you know, when I grew up, it was like that. It was my father, my mother just passed away, but it was my mother and father saying, you know, this person's a firefighter or this person's a police officer or this person served in the military that, you know, you would respect. I don't know what's happened there. Well, we well, gotta get, you know, we gotta, when I was a boy growing up, everybody asked me if I loved Stan Musial. And I said, yeah, I love Stan Musial. He's great. He's a great baseball player. And I like Cary Grant. He's a good actor. And, but my heroes were the women and men in my neighborhood who helped during World War II and served in the police and the fire department. Those were my heroes. The uh, courage comes from the French term... Encourage, give strength to the heart, not discourage, take strength away. And our nation needs to encourage that strength and lion back up. We need that American lion, that American eagle back in our spirit where we're standing up for what is correct. We can't be enslaved to compliance of uh, businesses that disconnect from the freedom that was purchased at such a heavy treasure. And what we need to do is wake up to that fact. And when people act indifferently to that, I hold them in contempt. Yeah, I agree with you. I do. I agree with you. Well, we're uh, Pittsburghers. We got Pittsburgh hearts, baby. <laughs> that's right. We're we're black and gold, but we got a heart all gold. No black, all gold. That is so true. And I tell people everywhere they that I go how much I love Pittsburgh, and that is one of the reasons. And I do love Pittsburgh. Resilient, and I love the tough, Pirates, and I've been people. a long, long, long-term fan, even when we had all of these 
losing seasons, but I always tell people that is the true fan. I'm a yeah. true fan. But in Pittsburgh, as you well know, if you don't like sports, you know, something's wrong. Yeah. Well, well my Michael, cousin's up in Greenfield. That's all they talk about. This deal works. I know. And no matter where you go across the country, you can find these little pockets of, you know, Steeler yeah. country, Steeler bars, steel, no matter where you are. That right. is amazing. Yep. But anyway, listen, we've got to go to break, um, and then we're going to be right back with Michael. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. We all face some economic uncertainty in our life. What makes the difference is how we take command of that and survive. Tune in to Strategies for Financial Survival with host Michael Figueroa. Michael has been up and down the road to success several times, and along with his guests, will share the skills of survival. By assessing your strengths and skills and applying them to your future, you can make it through tough times, regardless of your field. Listen every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, we're talking to Dr. Michael Pritchard, nationally known speaker, a person that's dedicated his heart and soul to working with young people across the country. And that is something I want to talk about right now, Michael. Uh, you have done so much work, I know, helping youth at all ages, as you've mentioned, building self-esteem. 
Um, can you can you talk about that for us? Yeah, Joyce. You know, one of the things is to teach early emotional uh, intelligence skills and and to teach their hearts. There's a great line by. Uh, Helen Keller was asked, it must be hard for you to be blind. And she replied, it would be if I had no vision. We see with our hearts. Now there's a person who understood that there are no limitations to the person who lives in their heart. So what I teach kids every day is that hurt people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. But pain shared is pain divided. And that, that we, we know the line I teach every day to little children is by Dr. Martin Luther King. And I extrapolated it from Dr. King's writings. And I tell them, it's not the bullies that hurt us the most. It's our best friends that don't defend us. And Cesar Chavez's line is, there's two forces in the world. The force that pushes people down or the force that lifts people up. We have to choose who we're going to be. So remember that watch your words. You don't have to blow somebody else's candle out to make sure yours shines brighter. Be a person who encourages and helps. And little kids love it. I make them say it with me three or four times, and they love the lines that I teach them because they're social-emotional learning lines that can help them for long-term. And imparting that, into their brain, but also more into their heart. So they learn that compassion, which is so indicative of what is going to get them through life with resiliency skills and renewal skills and confidence. Those lines that remind you to be kind to yourself and kind to others. Uh, The Dalai Lama's line is, when possible, be kind to everyone and... It is always possible. And the little kids... How do, you, how, how do you do this, Michael? How do you do this when you're working with someone that has just lost total self-esteem? What do you do? Well, you know, I tell them all how we talk to ourselves is important. Uh, a scale can measure the weight of a person, but not the worth of their heart and spirit. And a measuring tape could tell you how tall they are, but not the height of their heart and spirit. And a mirror could tell you what they look like outside, but not that they have a tremendous heart of a healer. So it's important for us to see the real person and to know that the way we use words and our attitudes, when you see uh, sarcasm, uh, when people are sarcastic, they don't have friendships, they have hostages. Sarcasm comes from the Greek term, the tearing of flesh. So when you see that person who's deeply sarcastic or abusive, they're not in a relationship or a friendship. They're a person holding hostage somebody who's afraid of them not to pick on them, and that's bullying. And there's self-bullying, too, talking down to yourself. Um, A cynic is somebody who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. We have to believe in ourselves and believe in our goodness. No matter what our limitations might be, they can always be overcome. Even when we're in our saddest part, you have to teach kids and people who have been suffering, don't just bring the light, learn to glow in the dark. So we have a parent here that wants to know um, 
I'm listening to you, Dr. Pritchard, but what do you do when even at the school, the teachers belittle your child? Well, I'm familiar with that because I actually, I never thought I'd live to this day, but I've been hired to come in and talk to bullying staffs. Uh, staffs that bully the kids and each That's, other. You mean it? You mean at schools? Yes, they hire oh, me to goodness. come in and talk. I never thought, you know, Joyce. I never thought I'd be coming in. It just started to happen because we're realizing the stream is poisoned. In other words, if you have teachers that are are, are, are rude and mean and 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 derisive and cruel, the kids pick up on that. And the kids will do that to each other. And if you have a parent at home that speaks to other members of the family in that way, the kids bring that to school. So if you can make a kid healthy and well emotionally, you've got to go back upstream and help the teacher and back upstream and help the parent and back upstream and help the community. Talk to the community about how we talk to each other. And when you have bullying teachers, you have to do what I call ICE. Intervene, confront, enlighten. Teachers should all know this. We have to be like physicians and healers. First, do no harm. Well, I'll tell you what. I love what you're doing. And what really put me over the top is when I saw that movie, Happy, which is absolutely outstanding. Um, And I got to see you in, you know, right there working, live, making it happen. Um, How did you become involved with that film? And how can people purchase it? Because I told Mary, your cousin, everyone should see that movie. Right. How how did you get involved? How'd that happen? Well, Tom Shadiak, who is a famous director who did Bruce Almighty, Evan Almighty, Ace Ventura 1 and 2, Patch Adams, Liar, Liar, paid for these two young filmmakers, Rocco and Adrian Bellick, from right here in Vallejo, California, to film all over the whole planet, finding happiness and talking to psychiatrists and neuroscience people about happiness. And uh, they came to me first, uh, eight years ago, and I said, just come with me. They wanted to know, why are you so happy all the time? Why do you have this joy? You know, uh, your wife is... uh, has cancer, you have all these things, you know, you're not rich, you don't have everything. And I said, look, just come with me for a day. Watch what I do. See who I am. Visualize what I'm doing with my life to help children and teaching them compassion. And I, I said, the greatest thing we teach is compassion. Learn, it's, compassion isn't uh, a feeling, it's an action. And depression and compassion are incompatible. If you're compassionate and actively doing that, you're not depressed. That's what all the neuroscience bears out. That's what all of the psychiatrists say. And this is brand new brain research. We just discovered all this. And my journey was easy for me. And these two young men, they went to Namibia, the Okinawa, the Bhutan. They went to Denmark. And every place they went, they struck gold discovering that people who were compassionate led extremely happy lives and were connected to the greater good. Yeah, we are. We are connected to the greater good. And you can never give up. I want to say to any parents out there, you can't give up and you've got to get involved because these young people, they need us. For example, 
I have young people with disabilities that I have lost to suicide. And sure. that just tears me apart. That is so terrible. And one of the problems is cyberspace, Facebook, Twitter. And I love all these things. I use all of the social media. But what I'm referring to is when someone comes home from school and they see on Facebook, you should kill yourself, you're a freak, you're weird. Right. Michael, how do you, how do you fight that? I just did a whole move, a whole television uh, series on this called Stepping On Up, learning and teaching our kids, because I tell them all every day, the best ship to sail on, friendship. Every day that we wake up, if we have relationships and partnerships and friendships, those are the ships we sail on. Keeping them connected to the greater good, because depressed people self-isolate, and then they think nobody understands them. And so you teach them that we're all interconnected. And that's what the movie teaches, is that if, when we're responsible to each other and help each other, we lift each other up. We live in community. The little boy you're picking on or teasing is someday going to be the paramedic that comes over to your house and lifts your infant son up out of the bathtub and saves his life. The girl that oh, you laugh at that can wow. save is that going to be the nurse. That is really a great example. That is the, really The little girl example. that you make fun of and tease because she's dyslexic, and she feels so bad, she'll be the nurse that takes care of your uh, mom after an accident. Mm -hmm. Boy, you call crybaby and sissy and homo and faggot and you tease him. He doesn't even want to come to school. He hurts so bad. Someday he'll be the emergency room physician who saves a member of your family. And you'll remember who he was and that you could have stood up for him. And you should have. But you didn't know that bullies and teasers don't have real friends. They have fearful followers. There's a girl that goes to school with our kids that we're interconnected, that she has a mom at home with breast cancer, but she is the mom at her home, taking care of her brothers and sisters, packing their lunches, getting their homework done, getting them to school. When she comes to school, the kids tease her because her hair is not shampooed and her hoodie's not washed, and they don't understand she has a hard life. And if they ever did get to know her, someday they might hang a $100,000 piece of her artwork on their wall at home. Yeah, right. Oh, how true, how true. I love that example you gave. Um, Michael, a, a question I have here for you is, do you speak at national conferences? Then you, you did say you speak across the country. Oh, yeah. Uh, because yeah, why I'm asking you is if some national organization wanted to bring you in, would they reach you through your website? Right, exactly. Okay, so once again, that's michaelpritchard.com? Yes. Okay, because I think your message is just so valuable. I think Thanks. it is so, so needed because I see what's happening to our young people that, you know what I always say? I say, if I help one person, I'll be so happy. Right. But, you know, when people tell me, Choice, the Spender Leadership Academy, the different things you're doing, it's wonderful. I know that it's just like a little teeny tiny pin drop compared to all the people in the United States, young people, that are going through this and don't have a voice. So that's why I think it would be so awesome to you speaking at more places, which I know you do a lot now, but then people know, here's someone that has my back. You've got to. We have to be, we have to be healer defenders. 
a great kid with dyslexia taught me something powerful, Joyce. He goes, hey, Mr. Pritchard, did you know that the words secure and rescue have the same letters? And did you know that heart and earth have the same letters? And silence and listen? I go, wow, I go, you're really smart. He goes, yeah, I see things differently because of my disability. I'm dyslexic. And then the ultimate line was, did you know that earth without art is just eh? Oh. <laughs> Brilliant. You know kid, what? Man. I mean, I'm going to tell you, I just had a few weeks ago um, the, a doctor from Harvard on the show uh, and Shaywitz, Dr. Shaywitz, and this is her specialty, is dys- dyslexia, and she was talking about how it can be so destructive for a family if that young person stops believing in themselves and drops out of school. Um, and how people with dyslexia are so frequently told they're stupid, they can't do it, they're dumb. And, you know, um, that's true that they're told that, but it's not true that they're not intelligent. They're brilliant. That's uh, what I try to tell everybody is what the kids said. They can call me what they want, but I know I'm smart in another way. I was a kid with uh, attention deficit disorder, undiagnosed in my day growing up. But now, years later, I understood what I had, and it's what tied me and many other comedians into uh, comedy. The Marine Corps teaches improvise, adapt, overcome. I learned how I learned, and I didn't take the condemnation for my grades as a symbol of my intelligence. I learned to struggle past that, to find in my heart something that made me love me and believe in me enough to be a person who could share with others and light other candles and, and show the kids the way out. And I've been doing that quite extensively with learning different kids all over America for years. Yes, and, and I brought up that movie, Happy. That, that You can get that from your website, too? Yeah, that's uh, all they have to do is go to the Happy Movie website. Just punch in the Happy Movie. If they want to watch my segment, it's on YouTube. Punch in Bully Speech Happy Movie. But bring the Kleenex. It makes you emotional. Oh, I know. I know. That is so true. Yep. Yeah, you got that right. But listen, everyone should see that movie, and everyone should buy that and show it at their school. I mean, I I, I just, I was very impacted, and I love that part where you were working with those uh, young people at that school. I, I just thought that was great. I loved it. I do that every day, and I hear phenomenal stuff. I was in Franklin, um, New Hampshire, and a fourth grader walks up, Joyce, and she says, I refuse to bow down to bullies, and I refuse to be a slave to the fear that bullies bring. And I went home and I I go, wow, I was a fourth grader talking. And as she was walking away, I said to her, hey, Tavon, remind me again, what's the motto of the great state of New Hampshire? And she goes, live free or die. (laughs) 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 Always from the mouth of a young person. It never fails. So powerful. Well, well, I'll tell I you a line I heard about, from children. That, I'm sorry, go so, ahead. There's a line from children that's so powerful for our daily life. 
I was sitting with kindergartners, and I was talking to them about what they learned, but my teaching them heart. And one of them goes, don't let their bad day be your bad day, or your bad day be their bad day. Don't play angry tag with people. Don't play angry tag. Oh, that's another, wow, that's another great saying that is so truthful, isn't it? Right. Oh, I love that. Because this is what we do. Anger is a virus, and it can consume a nation. Mm-hmm. So is self-absorption, and it can consume a nation. But being practically in community and knowing that unity means, community means with unity, you know, that's that story I tell about the kids, uh, and especially special kids, and how their hearts teach us, and how brilliant they are at teaching those lessons of subtle self-love. I had a little boy, Jimmy, who was uh, Down syndrome, and I said, how come you're always in such a great mood, Jimmy? You're like the happiest kid I know. He goes, yeah, I'm like, sometimes I'm sad, but then I will go over in a corner and pretend to be happy, and pretty soon I'm happy all over again. (laughs) Wow. What a great line and what a great kid. And his wisdom speaks eloquently through the heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Michael, when I was looking at your bio and your website, I thought, man, this guy's accomplished so much in his life and is still going on. So I have to ask you, of all these things, and you certainly have accomplished a lot, what would be the thing you are the proudest of? Oh, that's my kids. My uh, oldest son is a comedy writer and an, an author. He wrote a book called The Order of the Magi. And my middle son is studying to be a doctor in Harlem in New York. And he's a great reflection of everything that I loved as a medic to help heal people. And he does, he's been now twice down to uh, Central America helping out in uh, medical missions. And then my daughter is a hairstylist and uh, she does all these haircuts for the homeless and haircuts for special and disabled folks. And they all three have my compassionate heart. Wow. You know what? That is, yeah, no wonder you're so proud of your children. Yeah. That is awesome. Well, I wonder where they got that. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's the thing I t- try to tell parents. Um, love them even when they're upset with you. And discipline is something everybody missed. When I was a kid growing up, my dad used to holler at us all the time. And I knew it was because he loved us. And he disciplined because he loved. And too many parents want to be, they want to be their, their kid's friend. And uh, I never was my kid's friend. They never liked me the whole time they were in their teen years. But now when they're in their 25 and 27 and 30, they and all of their friends said, Mr. Pritchard, you know, Dad, you were the only one, the only parent who yelled at us. And I said, that's because I was raised in Pittsburgh and St. Louis. well michael it has been so fabulous to have you on the show today um what message would you like to leave with our listeners today you know joyce if uh if you get married to uh to tell you that my line i tell children every day and they love to say it and it's true 
you know, and they remember it. And I see them years later. Um, I tell them the good you do will come back to you, but the bad you do will be sad for you. But the good you do will come back to you. And I was downtown San Francisco where I first worked with the kids on uh, teaching them that. And there was a couple of young firemen coming by in the truck, and you could hear the siren resonating off the canyons of downtown skyscrapers. And there's two young firefighters on the back, and one uh, Asian kid and one Italian kid in the back. And they start waving to me. I didn't even know who they were. I had them 30 years before in, uh, in school and, and, uh, when they were little. And they both yell, hey, Mr. Pritchard. The good you do will come back to you. No kidding. Wow. I got emotional. I said, go put out the fire, you knuckleheads. <laughs> yeah, but but that's that a life something? well lived. Wow. Well, once again, it's michaelpritchard.com. Uh, Michael, keep fighting the fight. You're, you're just a treasure for all young people and for all of us. And I thank you so much for everything you're doing. It was my honor to be on your show. Please do me a favor, will you, Joyce? Give my cousin Mary the biggest hug and just tell her how much I love her. And how oh, proud I, I will am. do that. I will definitely do that. And listen, folks, we end every show with a quote from someone that has impacted the world in a good way. And today... That quote is, and it so applies here, preach the gospel at all times, but when necessary, use words. Said St. Francis of Assisi. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Hey, talk to you all next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 